Hello, welcome to Mark Langley's Horsemanship Podcast, a podcast helping people to understand their horses better, to provide solutions in a calm, connected way. I'm Jenny Barnes. And I'm Mark Langley. Hi, Mark. I've got a question here, which is um, quite an interesting question that will lead to the insight of horses that have a lot of trouble. Some people call them shut down. Perhaps they're broken horses. Obviously, different backgrounds can lead to any of these scenarios. And I sort of feel that people are becoming far more aware of horses being in this state now than perhaps they were not that long ago. So it's sort of people on people's radar. And once they acknowledge it, you obviously change your training to try and bring them out of those states. But I just wanted to have a chat to you because you've got a lot of experience in helping horses that are troubled. Can you just explain to people what you would define as a shutdown horse or a broken horse? Um, and how, how would you actually, what would you look for to, to come to that conclusion? Okay, well, I, I, I'll, I'll just use broken horses in the sense that, um, you know, some horses, they shut down, some horses shut out, um, some horses end up with post-traumatic stress syndrome much similar to a person so and they're the ones that don't shut down they just have a trigger that some of the shutdown ones have the same trigger but they basically go into an environment uh that is similar to the environment that you know basically fried their mind and um and they get on high adrenaline and then they just kind of can't regulate and they're really really sort of panicky type horses and then there's the you know the the, the ones we're just saying the shut down ones which are just really um they become very thick skin, very insular and they harden up and they just don't communicate, don't search, don't really uh, around humans. They just, just don't have any try left in them. Um, and then you've got the other ones that like, you know, I could probably break it up even more again, but I'm just going to sort of, a, a, you know, the, the basic main groups that I see. And then, and then the other one is the ones that, um, they, I call it ghosting or gazing. Um, so, you know, they they just kind of operate and their their mind is sort of somewhere in the distance. Um, and those type of horses, you know, you could be in an arena and they, they just will not look at a person at all. It's almost like they walk through, you know, say if there's a bunch of people standing around, um, they would walk through those people and not look at, acknowledge any one of those people, they will just be sort of looking through them or over them, like into the distance or their last place of safety or things like that. So, and and there it's all forms of coping mechanisms. Unfortunately, the horses at the high adrenaline ones, they don't have coping mechanisms. They they sometimes just end up like uh, with their mind off in the distance, always on high adrenaline around people. Um, so yeah, there, there's all those forms of broken horses. Now I'm not I'm talking about emotionally broken. Um, you know, obviously there's the whole physical broken side, but um, I'm not going to go into the physical broken side because there's so many different things that you know that break a horse down. But this is the emotionally broken horses, I guess we we, we want to talk about. So when you see these horses, um, or you know, if you're riding one of them, do they behave differently under saddle? Oh, some of them can be sort of. Um, you know, sometimes you can have a shutdown horse on the ground that doesn't have any search or try, seems bomb-proof. You can pretty well throw everything at it, but as soon as you get on it, it starts to come out and look like the post-traumatic stress syndrome horse. 
um, because riding could have been the trigger that um, triggers that 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 adrenaline and 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 that lack of clarity that horse was offered and and the pressure that it was you know that happened under saddle like for instance some race horses you get you know very very docile but then you get on them and all it takes is them to be near another horse uh, or see some other horses moving around the next minute you you know you 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 can't tap into their mind because they're just on high adrenaline and 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 really stressed so uh, there are some horses that are quieter on the ground, I uh, mean, sorry, quieter under saddle and um, more broken on the ground because the people sort of maybe used a lot of alpha technique type training where they constantly sort of were pushing the horse, moving the horse away from them, stuff like that. And the horse constantly felt pushed down the pecking order on the ground. So it, it possibly became aggressive or, uh, you know, a lot more shut down or frightened on the ground. But then when they get on the horse, that horse is actually a little bit softer because, well, they're just going with the horse all the time and they can't chase it when they're on top of them. So, so I've seen that too. What are you looking for when, when you see these horses? What is it that you're reading that other people might perhaps don't even know about or they miss or, you know, it's, you, you obviously see a horse in a certain way. There's perhaps a different picture to someone else, especially someone who knows nothing about horses. So what is it that you're looking for? Yeah. It's a level of awareness, basically. Um, so like, just I'll, I'll it's I'll start off with this sort of the you know the horses that shut down, shut out, gaze off. There's a lack of awareness in them that you notice. Um, so when I'm walking up to those horses, what I'm looking for and seeing is, you know, I look at their eyes a lot, and I also look at their features uh, and their ears, and. You know, so a lot of horses that are highly stressed, they, they can sometimes carry the age or they look like they're about 10 years older than they usually are because they carry a more sunken sort of wrinkly type face there, you know, um, and their features are a bit different like that. But what I'm looking for is um, basically sort of the ones that gaze, the, the, the glaze over, shut down and things like that is when you're walking up to them, you're basically looking for just interactions, interactions, one with the, the, the environment around them. So, you know, like people might be walking or something might be happening or they, or you walking over to it. Usually a horse that's open and sort of a free-minded horse is going to sort of go, oh, what are you doing? I flick an ear towards you uh, to, to sort of, you know, check in on you a little bit. Um, something happens over there or they hear a noise. And they so you can see they're they're kind of constantly open to the environment and monitoring and stuff like that. Um, whereas when you're walking up to a horse that has you know uh, started to sort of block out and things like that, they they basically sort of end up like they're sitting, you know, standing there like a zombie, like they're they're like somebody who's you know you see someone who just stops communicating and shuts out. So you don't see a lot of movement in the eye. You don't see a lot of um, yeah, they don't. You don't see just natural breathing. You see like they kind of tighten up in their breathing. Um, their ears are usually set quite rigid, so their ears aren't floating around. You know, flicking into different things that are around them and stuff like that. And generally, their posture is, um, you know, more so they're standing rigid, very, very still, like they look almost like a statue. Um, and but they've got a rigidity in their muscles, and they're you know usually standing on their forehand, kind of sort of heavy um so that's the sort of you know the ones that shut down and then the ones that gaze well they they tend to sort of have a different set in the sense that they're kind of looking into the distance so their eyes are 
uh, not as a hard, square, sunken sort of eye. They're more of a rounder sort of gazy eye, the eye that when a horse wants to sort of see something in the distance. But they don't actually move their eyes to sort of recognise you as much. You see them just kind of gazing out and there's this fixed like binocular vision in them. Um, and, and, and in them, there's not a lot of, um, you know, there's not a lot of things happening when you walk up to them. So they're kind of not really acknowledging you. They're just kind of sinking off into the distance. Um, so they will have, yeah, more of that, you know, so the, the shutdown horses have, can have a more sunken, heavier eye, eyebrows, sunken square eye, whereas the gazy horses, yeah, just that, that slightly uh, rounder eye that's, 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 that's pinpointing in the distance that you'd see if a horse sort of put, pricked its head up and saw some horses cantering in the distance. Um, so, yeah, but, but the, the real indicator is their lack of interaction and communication with us. And they don't have the floaty ears, as I said before. You know, their ears can be quite rigid. Um, and there's not a lot of softness in their muzzles and in their faces and things like that. Okay, so this, this sort of tight, stiff horse walks into the arena. You can see they're not happy. You can see that perhaps they want to be somewhere else or they're just, just not aware of what's happening and they're not participating, they're not interacting. What's you, your yep. role as a trainer? What's sort of the... How do you try and tackle that in a way that will help that horse to feel better, but without? It must be a difficult area to tread as well because you're conscious it, it of is, what the is, owner might be thinking. It is a difficult area, and I and I think going back to the original question, um, which I I like to quickly answer that before I go any deeper into the the conversation is, I think back in the question there was are, are there horses that can't be you know that are broken that can't be fixed. Um, I'm an optimist and I'd say every horse can be fixed emotionally. Um, some horses, you may fix them, but you're not going to expect them to be a riding horse out in a group or something like that. You, you can fix a horse to a certain extent, get them more comfortable around people, but um, um, it's not like you're going to fix it and turn it back into the horse that it was in the sense of a riding horse that can do everything. But can you, see but that you can fix every horse in that. Can you What's see that, that instant? Can you see that instantly, or do you have to train them a little bit and see how they respond to you first? I got no. Well, I uh, it, I believe that everyone can be can be fixed to be more comfortable around people, um, and I see that in every one of them. Um, you, you don't quite see it until you experiment, so you have to try a couple of things. But because I've seen so, you know so many broken horses, I always see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel somewhere in those horses that we can get them back to communicate again with people. Um, but we may not get some of those horses back into a working environment, um, especially, you know, unless you are super special, you know, I, I, it's not like you can just get them interested in you and then suddenly, you know, get them so comfortable with everything again that life's just fine. Um, but I do think you can get them back in the land of the living and communicating and starting to trust people again. You're just not going to turn them into a workhorse or a sport horse if if some of the you know they've been broken in those areas quite badly. Can you tell us about some of the horses you've worked with? Well, I guess the two types. Oh well, three types. So you know, like I get the broken down, and this saddens me a bit. I I see the obedient broken down, say Western performance horses, and I'm not that I'm against Western performance. 
and say Western pleasure and different things like that. And even camp drafting and stuff. It's just that, um, I see a lot of horses have been highly obedience trained, um, you know, very obedient, um, but obedient to a, a, a to, to a, a sen- in a sense that they have lost all ability to search and think for themselves. Cause every time that they had a thought, it was kind of knocked out of them in a, in a way, whether it be a bump on a rein or a, or a dig with a spur or something. And, and they had to basically give everything uh, that they had to that rider to be sort of like hyper-focused on the rider. Um, and those horses, especially the, um, the heavier, you know, colder-blooded type quarter horses have been really drilled. They've been some of the ones that I've found tougher to, to bring out. So, you know, there's a, a video of a coloured horse. He was, a, he was frightened on one side, but on the ground he just wouldn't communicate. And there's another client that I've, that I've helped over the years with a horse that he, he started attacking people but had no search, no try in him when it comes to riding and groundwork. And, uh, and, um, but, but he's at a stage now that she can go up and he kind of trots up to her. He's very friendly. He, he kind of he, he, he sort of follows around the paddock. He's very interested in her. Wow. But, you know, so he's, he's back in the land of the living and, and, he's a, and he's a lovely horse around people, like new people. I can walk up to him and he's like, oh, hello, what's your name, you know? How you going? And he's got a real nice open way, but um, but still, when you ride him under saddle, like I can get a little bit out of him, but I have to really set set things up that uh, we we sort of get offer offer him a situation where he kind of wants to do something. Um, and I think if I had him sort of consistently for a little time, I think I'd open him a lot lot up up more under saddle. But I just don't have him all the time, and so. But but either way, he's become a nice horse for her to have. And though he's a little tricky for her to ride in the sense of, you know, especially being a more nervous rider, getting, getting a bit on in the years in a sense, you, you, you know, you want a horse that is a little easier to sort of deal with. But, you know, he's become a really nice horse. It's just that he still has so many memories under saddle that have sort of shut him down that there's a tricky area there. But as I say, I haven't had him day in, day out for, for sort of, you know, a month just to sort of slowly tick him away and, and sort of help him. But, but, you know, seeing that the journey that they had is, is, is quite, quite wonderful. And, um, but then I've get, get the other side of things of the, um, the broken down sort of ex polo ponies, polo cross horses, race horses, any, any ones that have had the um, uh, endurance horses, you know, that have, have uh, you know, like I had a little endurance horse once, and that we made some nice changes at the clinic, but I haven't followed up those changes because that was a few years ago. And, you know, they're, they're, they're in a different part of Australia. But, um, you know, that little horse, he won endurance races, but he suffered from muscle atrophy because basically he was running on adrenaline. And because there was no fuel left in the tank, basically the adrenaline just kept him going and kept him on, you know, competing. But he obviously his body started to eat his muscles because of that. Um, so and and he still kind of you know got uh, you know I think it was up in the top three in, in in a long endurance race, but suffered muscle muscle atrophy because of it um, because he was just stressed and running on stress and adrenaline, opposed to you know uh, anything else. So and some people don't even know they think their horse is excited and that horse will just kill itself you know run itself into the ground just because it's on adrenaline and um, and those horses that don't have the ability to shut down, like um, I had a conversation once 
Um, actually, it was when I was in the States and I went and watched Harry Whitney. I, uh, one night I had dinner with him and that subject came up and, and uh, I posed the question to him about, you know, shut down versus the horses that can't shut down. And, and uh, he, he said, and, um, and I'm, I'm of agreement with it, that, you know, shutting down is a coping mechanism. So it's easier for a horse that can shut down than a one that can't because one that can't obviously, you know, is just fully stressed on high adrenaline, pacing up and down fences, you know, just constantly on overload in a human environment, whereas the ones that can shut down can at least, you know, their, their body is not under so much pressure. Um, though it's still um, not very nice for their mind, their, their body is, uh, yeah, it's, it's not as da- dangerous on their body, I suppose. So for someone at home who thinks that they may have a shutdown broken or a ghosting horse, what can they do to kind of perhaps start to make some really positive changes to go to the right path, just, just really briefly? Well, well, the easiest thing to start with is we've got to go back to our awareness of horses and any broken down horse, shut down horse, you've got to treat it as if you're walking into the paddock or whatever with a wild horse, um, which means you're going to notice every little indicator of the horse. You know, so say, for instance, the horse is nice and open, eating grass out with his paddock makes, and all of a sudden you walk into the paddock and, and the horse goes, uh, 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 and then you see a change start to happen because it's, it's usually the human that causes them to, you know, if it's a human-related problem, it's the human walking into the paddock that gets them to start shutting down. So it could be simply the horse kind of starts to look, think away from you and, and look away and, and walk away a little bit. That's when you kind of stop and step back and just, re, re, you know, release some pressure on them and, and show them that, that you are aware of what they're, you know, how they're feeling and what they're thinking. Um, so you're basically going back to like you were approaching a wild horse. You're saying, hey, I, you know, you really, I can see you starting to, 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 to shut down. I can see you starting to sort of destinate in your thoughts. I can see your anxiety. So you just stop and step back, give them space. So it's that approaching your horse in a more listening way all the time that helps them start to um, know that you're listening to them, which means that they will start to communicate a little more and maybe open up a little more. Um, but that's not the only only way. That's just you have to be. So like I say to people, listening is not training. You know, there's some ideas that, you know, us listening to horses is teaching them something. Well, it's helping them. But listening is a responsibility of a trainer. So that's the something that you want to do with all those horses, become a lot more aware of them, um, aware of their, their body language, when they're uncomfortable, when you're close to them, when they look comfortable, when they're sort of, you know, thinking away, thinking towards you, where, they, where you know, all those little changes, um, you want to be aware of that and, and listen to their personal bubble a lot more. Um, but then going from that is then you've got to look at how can you get them out of their shell under pressure, uh, which is the training part of it. And um, so, yeah, there are horses that I will actually have an owner standing quietly and I will create a stimulant and I'll create enough stimulant around that horse. Like I might have a flag or I might do something that I see that horse starting to search and get a little anxious. And then basically I just wait. And, and every time the horse's thoughts are going in the opposite direction, I might add that little stimulant and then the horse searches. And if I see them search into their owners a little, I just get the owner to be very quiet and calm and have a nice happy thought in their mind. And eventually that horse, usually some of them start to come over and say, Hey, 
I need a little help. You reckon you could help me? That you know, that would work for shutdown horses as much as it would ghosting horses and frozen horses. Um, and so they're seeing the biggest, owners in a different way. Yeah, well, because instead of the, you know, they're seeing that I can't deal with this on my own because because a lot of those horses, when they're in a human environment around around people and humans and human things, they feel isolated. So whether it's the ones that um, go on high adrenaline or the ones that shut down or the ones that gaze and ghost, um, they feel isolated. So basically it's because they feel isolated that, they, they, that they're in that frame of mind. They're away from their safety, which is, could have been the horses in their paddock or something like that even. Um, so, so, so I just call it that, you know, that your horse feels isolated and, and to, to, to solve most of this problem, it has to be connected um so just looking so at a, a racehorse that that um just just picking on a racehorse just because of, you know everyone can sort of visualize that high pressured environment maybe it hated racing maybe it hated all the loud noise and and that you know what was asked of it so someone comes along it finds a new home and that person doesn't race it and it has a lovely paddock that it eats grass in with a friend but that's not enough yes. is it it's the environment changing the environment isn't necessarily enough to help these horses because of what you've just explained. No, because there's triggers. Basically, education, sometimes if education was done in a poor way, it's a trigger. So basically, as soon as you put a holder on a horse, it might shut down. Uh, or as soon as you walk near the horse, depending on the level, what whatever happened to it. So, you know, the racehorse might put the saddle on its back and then all of a sudden it goes from a sort of a fairly quite friendly horse to a very worried horse because basically that 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 saddle or whatever you that bridle whatever you're putting on that horse is is basically the trigger to say i know what's going to happen next so that's why the listening thing only works to a certain extent because basically then you've got to identify the triggers that shut the horse down um and 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 so you know someone might come along with and they say oh, i don't lunge my horse because it was lunged in a bad way now as soon as i put it out on lunge it freaks out so I don't lunge it anymore. And I said, well, how about we teach it to lunge in a way that it's that, that, that it likes? Or someone might say, I don't use legs on my horse because it worries. So I, And I said, well, you know, the horse always knows you've got legs, so you're best off teaching it to understand your legs. So basically we identify those triggers and then teach the horse that it doesn't have to see it the way it used to see it. And, and basically most horses, the reason they they felt so that the reason they went into those bad places is because they, they never had a thought change in training. So they weren't, you know, they always felt a little trapped. Uh, they never, they never let go of those bad feelings. They never had enough time to say like process. So a lot of horses have different processing speeds and then they, they were never allowed to process their environment at their speed. They were rushed through their processing speed. So they just went back to those coping mechanisms of shutting down or just completely tapping out. Um, so basically identifying their processing speed, you know, the way they um, assess situations, teaching them to understand that um, pressure is a pathway, not a trap. All those things, you know, we can, we can help a horse come back, come back into a better place and, and become a lot, not only friendly with us when we walk out in their paddock, but um, more confident in a human environment, knowing one, they're not isolated. We're listening to them but we're also offered them, uh, we're empowering them with education that helps them through that environment, which they didn't have before. Mark, what would you say then is one of the most important things to do 
when you're working with these horses. But one of the most in, important things, uh, especially more so when it comes to the educational side of things, you know, as, I, as we, we talked about the listening side of it's so important, but when we talk about the educational side of things, it's so important that we have a way of, you know, being able to say, let go of that thought um, because horses just hook onto something and, 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 and that's it. And then, and then so basically a lot of the training with horses like that um, we're, we're saying let go of that, let, let go of that, that, that destination thought. Um, and, you know, like the anxious horses that are kind of really struggling, you know, where we basically do something to say for a moment, we can get them to let go of that thought. And then that's the moment. That's that crucial moment where they, because they've let go of it, they're searching and thinking about something else. And that's the opportune moment you can get in and they might, might, might reach out and, uh, or we can offer them a little pathway that, that, um, gives them a better alternative to what, what they were doing or the place that they're in. But, um, you know, all the clinics that I'm teaching, you know, whether it be the extreme broken horses or the ones that are just starting to go down that road, it's, you know, can you get your horse to let go of that thought? And if you can, well, there's an opportunity that you can offer it a new one. And that's, you know, something I've, you know, even I've read in Ross Jacobs's book, you know, one of, one of his things he talks about is, um, you know, you can't offer a horse a new thought without getting it to let go of an old one. And it's so important when it comes to those broken horses. How many horses, you have 10 clinics, 10 horses in a clinic. How many of those horses, 10 horses, are often like this, do you reckon, on average? Well, just about most of all the educated ones with a bit more age on them have, have um, signs of each one of these things. The only ones that come in that are really, you know, what I would say, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you know that saying, the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed ones are the ones that come in that are the most green ones, the ones that are just sort of out in the paddock and the owner's done a bare minimum and they've come in young, green, ready to ready to learn. Those ones are the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed ones that are still searching. They, they're they basically wearing their personality on their sleeve all the time, so very easy to read, very easy to be around because they're easy to read because uh, they're constantly communicating, telling you how they're feeling all the time. Whereas, uh, you know, I, I'd say you know, more than 50% of the horses that come, they've they got those negative, you know, indicators that they're sort of partly shut down, gazing off, um, you know, got destination thoughts. So some horses, they're only following to a destination when you're riding. They're not actually thinking about every foot and every, you know, the, the, you know, the metres ahead of them. They're always 10 to 20 to 100 metres ahead of them um, themselves. But, yeah. I mean, and also most people come to my clinics because um, because they're actually there's things that they're, they're, there's there's bracing their horse that they can't identify and they want to help them with. So so yeah, it is it is probably a lot probably even more than fifty percent of horses are already sort of in that state. It must be incredibly rewarding for you to be able to not only see their problems but be able to see a pathway to help them yes yeah for sure it, it kind of keeps me going that sort of thing because it's sort of you know and when, when i was young I, horses were a tool to me and i never really appreciated horses until i started taking on broken horses and, and then all of a sudden i grew a bigger heart and sort of you know started to recognize what they'd gone through and it wasn't their fault they were like they were they, it was just human 
humans and bad human interactions that set them up to be like that. Um, you know, so yeah, to be able to sort of help them get into a better place, and also it, it kind of it's a good thing because they they learn that they are okay in a human environment and they don't you know it changes a whole bunch of things in their life from from the way they are out in the paddock to lots of things i've seen horses that you know suddenly you change a few things in education and all of a sudden they they, they become softer out in the paddock with other horses and that because sometimes the trauma of getting ridden every day for an hour is almost like a hangover that they take out into the paddock with them and I think empowering them in education and, and getting them feeling better does does help in their day-to-day -day life when they're not with humans. It's great to talk to you, Mark. Thank you very much for your insights yet again. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. You can learn more from Mark online through his online training videos. Just search Mark Langley Horsemanship. There's over 380 training videos which everyone has access to with a seven-day free trial. If you like what you see, it's just $15 a month from there. That's help where you need it.